Our next book to study in order is Ephesians, but I'm taking a departure from that and I'm going to address a topic that was referenced in Colossians that we just finished and will be also addressed in Ephesians. And I think this is an important topic to bring up. And I also want to say that there are multiple opinions and my opinion and research is probably not the predominant one that you will find in Christian world, but I did find um, a PhD that supports this um, also, and um, so I'm sharing it with people. So as always, look to scripture to before you make a decision about anything. Don't take someone's word for anything, but search for yourself and look in scripture to see what's supported, what um, aligns with God's word, because scripture is the ultimate authority. So the question is, are we predestined by God to eternal life or damnation before we are born? Are born? So that's the topic. And most people, uh, when they initially hear that, they really struggle with it. And that's exactly what happened to me as well. But predestined and election doctrine. This is a refreshing understanding of what is in scripture. So if you've been following my posts on the website, um, you can visit that because I have links to scripture again there that you're not going to be able to get in a podcast. Um, you can find that um, on the website www.annm2705.com. And on um, the title of it is, Are We Predestined by God to Eternal Life or Damnation Before We Are Born? So when you find that. Anyway, if you've been following my posts on that website, you'll know that I first read the Bible in 2019 from cover to cover, and I've been studying it since then for four years now. So I continue learning from Scripture. I'm not an expert, and what I learned was from reading Scripture first, then seeking others' explanations of aspects that weren't immediately clear to me. I am seeking truth. I stopped trusting religious doctrines and churches after I read the Bible and discovered contradictions to what I had learned. I wanted to know, what does the Bible tell us? So it was just this past year in a Bible study when this subject came up, predestination and election. When I heard the, ex I had never heard about that before, but when I heard the explanation, my initial reaction was, this doesn't sound right or seem to reflect the God whom I came to know through Scripture. The explanation was based on Calvinism, which states the principle in Calvin's words is that, quote, all are not created on equal terms, but some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation, and accordingly, as each has been created for one or other of these ends. We say that he has been predestined to life or to death. That's John Calvin. I have a link to John Calvin, so if you want to do research on who he is. and um, But he was very significant in his teachings in the church and a lot of what churches today teach. So 
It's kind of important to know if you don't already. I didn't know who he was and I had to look that up. So anyway, the reaction from the Bible study group was, this is in the Bible. You can't force what's in the Bible to conform to your beliefs. And I agreed with that statement. But I wondered, why did I not comprehend this when reading scripture? Why didn't I get that message? I never, like the first time I was presented with this was predestination and election. And I'm like, what? That doesn't sound right. But I never drew that conclusion when I read scripture. So I went back to read what Paul wrote, and I see that scripture says what it does. And it uses those words, but still it didn't seem consistent with what I learned about God's character. A member of the group shared a paper with me supporting this theory with scripture, but of course I had to do my own research. So I researched this topic and found, thankfully, there are various viewpoints regarding the subject, not solely the explanation I heard. This subject is one of those debated doctrines which made me realize people clearly don't understand it. If this remains debated after hundreds of years, most people initially have a negative reaction to it, but then they say, God is sovereign and we don't understand everything. And some will even question, then why share the gospel if God is predestined? The response is often because the Bible told us to. Those are all valid points, but to me, this is a horrible doctrine. It contradicts scripture and does not represent the character of the God I read about. God is love. Um, I, and I have links on the website to where scripture says this. I'm not going to read each one of those links, um, but if you go to the website, you can find them. So these are all supported statements about God that are found in scripture. So God is love. He is patient wants everyone to come to repentance and live in his kingdom. God does not show favoritism. God is just, and God is merciful. None of these attributes align with John Calvin's doctrine, in my opinion, so there must be a viewpoint that doesn't contradict God's character. Additionally, this theory was arrived from reading Paul's letters, but I know that scripture often has multiple witnesses attesting to truth, so clarification is found in scripture. I also realize that many PhDs arrive at this theory because this is what they were taught when they were in seminary, but the fact is there are different beliefs. However, it seems the most often taught one appears to be based on the doctrine of John Calvin. The fact that there is debate on this topic is good because it shows people are using critical thinking, questioning the understanding of a doctrine that is more of a theory or interpretation rather than absolute truth. Humans are fallible. We don't get everything right, and it takes humility to accept this. It's very likely that what I understand today, especially end-time scripture, may change based on new information or revelation found in scripture later. In fact, people were so set in their preconceived ideas of who the Messiah would be that, they, that many missed that Jesus or Yeshua was and is the Messiah. I have a feeling that what we believe about end times events will also be that way. If it doesn't happen the way our thoughts think it might, we'll see it clearly in hindsight. But getting back to the 
other opinions on this topic. This is what I found in scripture after researching it. So this is a clarification of predestined and election. And these are my notes based on scripture. First of all, the definition of foreknow, foreknew, defined, it's to be aware of an event before it happens. So the first scripture is from Romans chapter 9, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So my note was, God foreknew all, everyone. So God God creates everybody. So he has to foreknew, foreknow every single person. So God foreknew everyone. Therefore, God predestined all of us to conform to the image of his son. But not all mankind accepts this con- confirmation. People don't want to do this. So those there are some that will and some that won't. And God knows this. He does know this. But I believe that God gives us free will because there are so many pieces of evidence in scripture that shows that we have free will. I mean, why would anyone even have to repent if we didn't have free will? And I do know that some people say that free will and uh, predestination can coexist, but it just seems to contradict itself. Um, And I think that what I've found later in scripture, I think it clarifies it so much better than any of the explanations I've had as far as what John Calvin says. I do not believe what John Calvin says. So um, here's another scripture. And Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's in John chapter 12, 32. So Jesus is saying he will draw all people to myself. That's what he said. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God does does the work after someone, this is my thought on it. God does the work after someone accepts his calling. Sanctification is by God, not by us. It's the Holy Spirit working within us. So after someone accepts, I mean, God's calling all people. He's, you know, just like Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. So there's a call, a pull to all people. And in my own personal experience, there were probably many times that God was trying to get my attention, but I was ignoring it. And thankfully, God didn't give up on me. And finally, something clicked within me. And I did feel like I was being called like, I had like God was wanting to get closer and that I was seeing things. I I had a desire and um, that was something different that I didn't have in the past. But looking backwards and hind- looking in hindsight at some different events, there were like reach outs from people multiple times, but I shut everybody down. And so um, it is God calling all of us, but it's up 
I still believe it's up to us to accept when he keeps presenting. And like I said, thankfully, I didn't keep rejecting it because I I did to some degree before I finally accepted. Getting back to scripture, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. God is adopting us, all who accept Jesus as the Messiah. So everyone who accepts Jesus as the Messiah, God is adopting when we do that. When we believe, when we believe and we ask, you know, and God knows this is sincere in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our intentions, God gives us Jesus and Jesus from the Father receives the Holy Spirit, gives it to gives the Holy Spirit to us to help us become um, sanctified. And so there there is a process, and um, it's through Jesus. But just as Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me." So in Him, Jesus, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. God's, and these are my notes, God's will is for all to accept. First, it was offered to the Jews, but then it was offered to the Gentiles. Yes, God first chose the Jews, his chosen ones, but then expanded it to all. Again, God does the work to conform people who accept him through the work of the Holy Spirit. Then when we start talking about predestined, predestined, God uses certain people for special purposes. Not everyone is used for special purposes. Some are for common purposes. Predestined isn't about salvation. And here's some references in scripture Um, from Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common? And then from Romans chapter 2, verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. Here's my opinion. My opinion is to predestine one for salvation and one for destruction is contrary to what is stated here. We need to understand scripture. Scripture interprets scripture, but does not contradict. If it contradicts, it is something we haven't comprehended yet. So it's it's because of our fallible minds, like we don't understand the depths Jesus even said this when he was talking to his followers. He, it, um, or maybe it was to Nicodemus when he was talking to someone. He said, "You know, how can I tell you of heavenly things when you can't even understand the earthly things that I'm trying to tell you about?" And so there is a lot we all have to know that that there's a lot that Jesus couldn't tell us because we couldn't comprehend it, and things that we just don't get, we just don't understand. And maybe as time goes on, we will, it'll be clearer to us. And the Holy Spirit can give us that wisdom. And anyway, um, it's a, it's a process. So about 
being a special purpose. We see this stated in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah had a special purpose from God. Here's another example of a special purpose. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. That's from Genesis 25, verse 23. Another example of special purpose. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Dedicated to God from the womb, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. That's in Judges chapter 13, verse 5. Another special purpose, John the Baptist. So even Elizabeth, your relative, this is, um, I believe, the angel talking to um, Mary. She said, or he, the angel said, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So John the Baptist was um, had a special purpose to prepare the way for Jesus. Here's another person that has special purpose. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So Ananias had multiple jobs to do, special purposes. He was proclaiming God's name to the Gentiles, their kings, and the people of Israel. Another special purpose person. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you, referring to Paul, whose name was, uh, to Paul, whose name was formerly Saul, to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. So I'm going to repeat that. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. And that's found in Acts 22 verse 14. Another special purpose, Ezekiel. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you, eat the scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. That's in Ezekiel chapter three, verse one. Ezekiel's vision's purpose was to speak to Israel. So that's who he had the message for. Um, Then there was another special purpose and John um, and he had the same thing about the scroll. It was. Um, it said, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I hadn't eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, languages, and kings. That's found in Revelation chapter 10, verses 10 through 11. So John's vision's purpose was for Gentiles or many people, nations, kings, etc. So Ezekiel had a similar vision, but he was told to go speak to Israel. And then John had the same vision about the scroll, but he was told to go talk to many people, the Gentiles, 
um, nations, languages, and kings. So it's all other people. So they both had different purposes, but special purposes. Then contrary to special purposes, God also uses people to accomplish his will. They have free will, but he uses their free will and evil choices to accomplish his sovereign will. So what is God's will? And Jesus said what it was. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son, meaning him, and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up that last day. That's in John chapter 6, verse 40. Notice that Jesus doesn't say for the predestined. He says for everyone. So again, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Then a hardened heart. If you search hardened heart in an electronic Bible, you will see that there are times when God hardens someone's heart. But notice this is after that person has repeatedly hardened their own heart. As I understand, we have multiple opportunities. But at some point, God may say, enough, and then harden a person's heart. Just turn them over. So how is a heart? hardened. What does that mean? We find it in scripture again. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's found in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. So it is the deceitfulness of sin that causes a person's heart to be hardened. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. That's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. This appears to be consistent with other scripture. God gives opportunities for repentance, reconciliation, belief, but some people reject this. And sometimes God turns them over to their sin. This is God's decision. We don't know when or if our time is up, either while living or when death occurs. So the elect, salvation isn't imminent. So here's what Peter says in chapter 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So he didn't say for the sake of the elect, the elect that will obtain salvation. He said for the sake of the elect that they too, they also may obtain salvation. So that's not guaranteed. So just because someone is elect or chosen doesn't relate to salvation. You can see that right in that verse. So an additional resource and explanation is found in a video um, by Dr. Douglas Hamp, and it's on YouTube, and I have it on the website where you can watch it. 
but it's titled God Elected Israel in quotations, or not quotations, in parentheses, um, sorry, Calvinist, and it's called The Awakening Report. So he gives lots of evidence throughout scripture about what the meaning of the elect is and how John Calvin has misinterpreted what the meaning is. And it's clearly evident in scripture when you see all those references. I imagine that you will see it. I saw it, that it makes sense. It doesn't contradict scripture. It falls right into place. Um, There's also a link that you can find um, if you go to his website, which is www.douglashamp.com. And you can find the article in written form on that he also has a an article called The Commonwealth of Israel and its Theology Summary. And he references this in the video, and it's very helpful in comprehending uh, scripture about the elect, because the elect consists of, I mean, you have to understand from scripture where it occurs and how um, it describes Israel. So, Israel's tribes broke, the 12 tribes of Israel were broken up into the north and to the south. So the north was Israel and the south was Judah and they were separated. Now those in the north, Israel, are also receiving people who are being grafted into Israel. And I believe that's when someone becomes born again, like born in the spirit, as Jesus told Nicodemus. So if they are if we are not of Jewish descent, we are grafted in to Israel. We become a part of Israel. We become the commonwealth of Israel by being born again. So you can understand that probably clearer than my explanation if you go to the link and read his summary on that. And um, But just as Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being born again, that's the only way to be in God's kingdom— Um, Once this is revealed in scripture, it's very clear regarding the elect and who the elect is. So this whole doctrine is important to understand because when we understand it, this truly gives us hope. I mean, what kind of hope do we have for all mankind if we think or if we believe that some are already destined to eternal life with God and some are already destined to eternal damnation. It doesn't make sense in regards to scripture. It just doesn't, it it contradicts scripture. So when we realize that that's not true, that was someone's theory and yeah, they got it wrong. They didn't quite understand it. And yes, we keep getting it. We have it taught. It's still taught. And it's so hard when someone has been taught a certain way their entire life, when they've been indoctrinated to a certain um, way of thinking, it's hard to open up your mind to other possibilities. But when there's another possibility, and I'm not saying twist the truth about Scripture, because always Scripture is is the, um, the guide and prayer to God for clarity, for understanding um, it, but... I see contradiction in scripture from what John Calvin was saying. And, and it does, you know, if somebody has been taught that their whole life, it's really hard to look at a different viewpoint. But if you can open up your mind and look at a different viewpoint and 
challenge that with other scripture. See what you think about that. That's what I personally did. And I felt like this, not felt, I mean, I saw evidence that this clears it all up. And um, it's not a widely known thing, but thankfully I found this um, by what Dr. Douglas Hamp did. And I, I believe that he did this um, when he was getting his master's um, degree. I think this was like his final paper that he wrote or something. And so it's, it's great for all of us because it does give us all hope that all the people in our lives, there is a there is hope for everyone that all mankind has the opportunity to be in God's kingdom because of Jesus's death and resurrection. Uh, comprehending this reflects the loving, merciful, and just God that we find throughout scripture. God also said, if you seek him, he will be found. So I have a link on the website too. You know, God said that. So if someone seeks him, he will be found. And so that is hope for all people. When people seek God, and we are clearly seeing that today, you can um, probably find um, if you search on online, just people like dreams and visions, people are actually having that and coming to faith and, um, and crying out to God, like, if you're real, show me this. I mean, that there's a lot of um, testimonies that are actually saying that. And it's, it's, it's actually, um, it's wonderful, because so many people are coming to faith. Um, and I think this is just, um, it's very encouraging. And that's what I want to encourage other people that this door is open. God wants all of us in his kingdom it does require something of us. It requires us to submit ourselves to God, to want him. And and then the Holy Spirit does the rest of the work. Jesus made it possible. So it's a pretty simple thing, but not everyone wants to do it because a lot of people don't want to abide by God's laws. And that's a decision that every person has to make. But the door is open to Jesus. God's opened the door. God's calling people, come to me. It's up to us whether we accept him or reject him.